Bibles with you, would you open them please to the 16th chapter of the book of Romans. Romans chapter 16. We are the church. We are the church. Now if you look at Romans 16, once you find it, I want you to see there's a lot of verses in that chapter. And there's a lot of names attached to those verses in this chapter. And so I'm not going to read all the verses. If I did so, we'd be here till 6 o'clock this evening. Then we could have our evening service, couldn't we? Just go right on into it. But I do want to read a couple of verses. Verse 16, verse 24. And the Apostle Paul writes to all of these names that he mentions in Romans 16. Salute one another with a holy kiss. The churches of Christ salute you. Verse 24, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. I want you to think with me just a moment. What is the church? If somebody asked you, what is the church? Most of us would probably think of the building. But the church is not a building, biblically. The church is me. The church is you. The church is us. The church of the living God is not a brick-and-mortar building. It's a flesh-and-blood body. The Lord Jesus didn't come to build a structure. He came to build saints. The Lord Jesus didn't die for a place called Miles Road Baptist Church. He came to die on a cross for people that make up Miles Road Baptist Church. It's important that we remember the church is not this building, it's the body of Christ. It's not a place, it's a people. And when Jesus comes again, He's not taking the building, He's taking the people. Now, if you'll remember that, It'll help you understand Romans 16. It'll give new meaning to Romans 16. The Apostle Paul, in my estimation, was the greatest Christian man who ever lived, bar none. The book of Romans, which he wrote, is arguably one of the greatest books found in the Bible. But when you read Romans 16... Why would the greatest Christian man who ever lived, writing perhaps the greatest book found in the Word of God, the book of Romans, why would he spend time? Why would he spend space? Why would he spend his efforts to talk about names and Romans 16? 
This is one of the greatest books found in the Bible. Why would he spend one-sixteenth of his space, of his time, talking about the names of people that basically are invisible and forgotten today? Why wouldn't he spend it talking about theology? Why wouldn't he spend it talking about doctrine? Why wouldn't he spend it talking about apologetics? Why would he focus on the names of people? If you read Romans 16, you will find that he names 36 people in this chapter. People that he knew personally. People that he knew intimately. People that were part of the churches located in Rome. He doesn't talk about the church building. He talks about the church people. The clothes that I wear is not me. I'm inside the clothes. The church of Jesus Christ is not this building we call Miles Road Baptist Church. It's the people inside the building, like you and me. Now, if you look at these 36 names that he lists there, and I'm not going to spend time going over every one of them, if you will look at them, you'll say to yourself, my, these are average, ordinary people. Most of them you've never heard of. Most of them you'll never hear from again. As I said earlier, they're invisible. They're forgotten. Yet these 36 people that he mentions, who made up the church that he knew very well, they, they were never in the spotlight. They were never had any fanfare. They never had heroics. But Paul knew them. And he names them. He tells us a little snippet about each one as he names them, but not much. I mean, most of you are Bible scholars here this morning. Surely you've heard of Andronicus. Right? Raise your hand. I know, I've heard that one. Arjuna? Or Amplius? How about Urban? You all know Urban, don't you? How about Patropus? Hermas? Lucius? Jason? Quartus? Persis? Y'all haven't heard any of that? Well, there's 26 other names to go with those 10. Once again, names that he knew. But we don't. Why in the world would he do that? Now listen to me. Think with your head. You're a thinking people. Why would the greatest Christian man who ever lived, writing one of the greatest books that would ever be placed in the Bible... Spend an entire chapter of that book doing nothing but calling people's names. It'd be like me coming before you and preaching a sermon, and I don't preach anything. All I do is say, hey, Roger, hey, Joan, hey, Glenn, hey, Brad, hey, Dixie. I spend my entire time and just call names. 
Why did he do that? Because he was going to teach us something that's very important. Three things I want to lay on your mind and heart about Romans 16 that I hope will greatly encourage you as we enter a new year. First of all, God knows you. God knows you. You say, but pastor, I'm a nobody. I'm a church wallflower. Nobody ever notices me. Nobody ever speaks of me. Nobody ever asks me to do anything. Pastor, you don't understand. I'm a nobody. That's what you think. But what you think is not always true. I want you to know that God knows you. Just as Paul knew these saints, God knows His saints. God knows His people. That's why Paul lists those names to show us if he does that on a human level, how much more does God do it on a divine level? One of the problems sometimes we have in our lives is we have such a poor self-esteem of ourselves. And some of you sitting here looking at me right now, you think you're a nobody. You're the church wallflower. Nobody thinks of you, nobody talks about you, nobody ever asks you to be part of anything. I want you to know something. You listen to me. God loves you. He loves you. The God who knows every hair on your head, and that's easy for some of us. He loves you. He loves you in His grace, not by your performance. There's nothing you can do to make God love you more, and there's nothing you can do to make God love you less. He loves you. And Jesus died for you. If you were the only person in this world, He would have died for you. When He was on the cross, you were on His mind. That's not just lyrics to a song. That's a biblical fact. When He was dying on the cross, He thought of me. And He thought of you. The first member of the Holy Trinity loves you. The second member of the Holy Trinity died on a cross for you. And the third member of the Holy Trinity lives in you. Wow. God lives inside of me. He lives inside of you. He's not with me. He's not by me. He's not around me. He's in me. He's not in this place. He's in His people. He's in me. Pastor, I'm a nobody. You're not a nobody. God loves you. You're not a nobody. Jesus died for you. You're not a nobody. The Spirit of God lives inside of you. 
And this triune God has a plan and purpose for your life. He created you. He put you in your mother's womb. He birthed you into this world. He gave you physical life, and there's a plan and purpose for you. And then he birthed you into his kingdom. When you gave your life to Jesus, another birth took place, and you became not only a son or a daughter of a human mother and father, but you became a son and daughter of the living God. And with that new birth, spiritually, you received another plan and purpose. God did not save you to draw a breath and draw a check and then prepare to check out one day. God created you and saved you with a plan uniquely designed for your life and a purpose likewise. And this God who loves you and this Jesus who died for you and the Spirit of God that lives in you and this God, this triune God that has a plan and purpose for your life, He knows your name. In Nahum chapter 1 verse 7 it says, God knows those that trust Him. God knows those that trust Him. He knows their name. 1 Corinthians chapter 8 verse 3. God knows those that love Him. God knows those that love Him. God knows those that trust Him. He knows the names of those who love Him. He knows the names of those who trust Him. John chapter 10 verse 14. <coughs> Jesus speaking of Himself. Said, I know my sheep. I know them, I have named them, and they follow me. If you go to Israel, you'll see shepherds, you'll see flocks of sheep. The shepherds, no matter how many sheep are in their flock, every one of those sheep have a name. And the shepherd knows the sheep by name, and he calls them by name, and they come to him. And they will not come to another shepherd. And when the shepherd walks, they follow him. God knows our name because we're special to Him. He loves us. He died for us. He lives in us. He has plan and purpose for our life. He knows our name. Are you a nobody? No, you're not. I heard the story about a group of medical school students who were taking their final exam. This final exam was very important because it would determine where they would be placed for their internship, what assignment they might be given. So it was not just a big test, it was a big, big test. It was the final test before their assignments. And as these med school students were working through the medical questions that were asked by the professor on this final exam, they came to a question that was very unusual. In fact, some of the students thought it was a joke. It was just stuck in there so they would have a little bit of laughing as they continued taking the exam. You know what the question was? What's the name of the custodian? 
that has cleaned this building for the last four years that you've attended school here? What is her name? The medical students again thought it was a joke. Some of them even inquired of the professor after the exam about it. And he assured them, he said, this is a legitimate question. It is part of the curriculum. It's part of the grade. And if you miss it, it will be counted against you. Well, do you know that 98%, 98% of those medical students did not know the name of the custodial lady who cleaned their building every single day of every week, of every month, of every year that they went to that class. They knew she had dark, dark hair. They knew she, they, she had brown eyes. They knew she probably had a Hispanic background. They knew that she was probably in her 50s. But they did not know her name. They asked the professor, what's the big deal? Listen to what he said, I quote. In your life and career, you will meet many people. And each one of those people you meet deserves a smile, a hello, and for you to call their name if you know it. You are never so big as when you remember those that are little. You're never so big as you can smile at somebody and say hello to somebody and call somebody by their name. Why is God so big? Because He remembers those of us that are little. He knows our name. Secondly, from Romans 16, we can learn not only God knows our name, but we can learn that we're important to God. We are important to God. I'm a nobody. No, you're not a nobody. God knows your name. If somebody of that stature knows who you are, you are important. Well, why am I important? Because God has a special plan for your life, as I said earlier. When you, do you remember when the Lord Jesus chose the twelve disciples? When He chose those twelve men that He was going to teach, that when He was gone, they would build His kingdom and they would build His church? Do you remember those twelve that He chose? The twelve apostles, the twelve disciples, y'all know them, shake your head. Well, then, I, then you all know that they, one of them was a medical doctor. You knew that, didn't you? Y'all know your Bibles. Another one was a banker. Another one was a lawyer. 
Another one was a celebrity. Another one played professional football. Right? Some of you are going, I didn't know all that. <laughs> I'm pulling on your chain, you know that. But that's who we would have chosen. I mean, after all, if God said, Jim, I want you to build my kingdom and my church, how about pick out 12 people to help you? You think I'd pick out any of y'all? Don't you look at me so bad. Would you pick me? No, you wouldn't either. We'd want to get the big shots. The doctors, the lawyers, the bankers, the celebrities, the sports stars, the judges, the politicians. That's who we would want. He didn't choose any of them. Think about who he chose out of that motley group of 12. He chose two brothers that were hotheads. They had red hair. They were from Ireland. <laughs> Their name was James and John. They were called the sons of thunder. That word thunder is a fancy word for the sons of anger. Boy, they got riled up quick. He chose some fishermen. They didn't have no formal education. They were not white collar. They were blue collar. And yet Jesus chose fishermen. He chose a terrorist. Yes, Simon the Zealot. You know what Zealot is? It's just a fancy word for a terrorist. He was a terrorist against Rome. He chose a skeptic who didn't even believe any. He chose a tax collector who worked for the IRS. How'd you like to have somebody like that in your group? When Jesus chose people, he went out and he got plain, common, ordinary people. And in those people, he saw them not for what they were, but what they could be. He didn't see them for the reality. He saw them for the potential. That's why we're all important. You say, Pastor, I'm not much. No, you're not much, and I'm not much either. But when you put not much in the hands of a God who is much, he makes us much. He takes things that are ordinary and makes them extraordinary. He takes things that are natural and makes them supernatural. He takes things that are common and he makes them uncommon. He takes things that are of little value now but will be great value later. Do you understand your importance? He's still working on you. You may not be right there yet, but one day you are going to be used of God in a great and mighty way. He knows your name and you're important. That's why we need to be very careful how we esteem people. Because we don't always see what God's doing on the inside that one day will be shown on the outside. Let me ask you a question. We'll take a test. What's the name of our custodian here? But let's take a test. 
Who would impress God the most? Okay? A world-class sopranist who sings the Messiah without a flaw or a fault. That Would that impress God or a five-year-old kindergarten boy who can't stay on key that sings, Jesus loves me? Which one of those do you think impresses God the most? Do you think God is impressed more by a millionaire who writes the church a check for $1,000? Or do you think he's impressed by a four-year-old preschool girl who puts her little dime in the collection plate. Her Jesus money goes to Jesus. Who do you think impresses God the most? A ceremonial theologian who prays a prayer that he's memorized out of a book? Or a struggling Christian who can't get words out of their mouth, but they pray with sincerity of heart. You see, how we look at things and how God looks at things is often two different ways. We're impressed by the big shots. God is impressed by the little shots. Because God can take a little shot and make that a big shot if He will. That's why we shouldn't be so quick to put people in God's Hall of Fame. And by the way, I believe there's a Hall of Fame in heaven. There's a football Hall of Fame in Canton, Ohio. There's a baseball Hall of Fame in New York, Cooperstown, New York. I believe in heaven there's a God's Hall of Fame. And if I was to ask you to write down the names of those you think will be there, I can promise you most of them will not be. But let me tell you some folks that will be in God's Hall of Fame. Though we look at them and we don't see much, God sees a lot. Though we think they're insignificant, God sees them for their importance. Who will be in God's Hall of Fame? Maybe there'll be a Doug there. Maybe there'll be a Dave there. Maybe there'll be a Becky there or a Grace there. Maybe there'll be a Terry there or a James there. Maybe there'll be a Rita or a Ruth there. Maybe there'll be a Tammy there, or a Jeff there, or Amanda there, or, or, a, or somebody like you. Common, ordinary people. And you allowed God to take you and make you into something you never thought you could be. God knows your name. Do you know that? God says you're important. Do you know that? Not as you are right now, but what you could be. And then lastly, God sees our work. He knows our name. We're important to Him. And He sees our work. If you scan through Romans 16, and I would encourage you to read it, since you don't have an evening service tonight, you can read it. 
be good for you. But one of the things you'll notice as you look at these 36 people that are mentioned there is that in the little snippets of information that's given about each, most of the time something is said about their work. Priscilla and Aquila are called helpers. Mary and Urban are called laborers. Apelles is called a beloved servant. Timothy is called a workfellow. Gaius is called a host. The implication is, is that every one of these people whom God knew their name, whom God deemed important to the work of the kingdom and the church, they worked. As Dabo Sweeney from Clemson would say, they were all in to the kingdom and to the church. They weren't pew sitters. They weren't bench warmers. They weren't spectators or fans. They were solid, dependable workers who you could count on to do the task that they were given, a task that matched their talents physically, their gifts spiritually. You could count on them. This was not a bunch of people who just sat around and stared at a preacher and listened to sermons. These were men and women who worked. They worked as ushers. They worked as Sunday school teachers. They worked as nursery workers and Awana workers. They worked as cooks and decorators and dishwashers. They worked as choir members. They worked as sound and lighting people. They worked as greeters. They worked as set up peoples and take her down people. They all found a place to use what God had given them to build the kingdom in the church where God placed them. They understood that God knew their name. It wasn't necessary for anybody else to know their name. God knew it. They understood that they were important. Nobody else may ever think they're important, but God said they were important. And because of that, they found a place to do their work, to do their service, to be a help to the work of God at that church. They were the nuts and the bolts of the church. Some years ago I wrote this and I don't remember the context in which I wrote it or who I wrote it to. But I keep everything I write and I'd like to go back and look at it sometimes and thank God for the things that He's done through the years. But I wrote this in 2007. Pastors don't build churches. People do. People who are willing to serve day in and day out without applause or reward. People who understand devotion to a cause and duty to the effort. What this church will become is not about me. Pastors don't build churches. It's not about my staff. A staff doesn't build a church either. Who builds the church 
is the church. You, us working together. Understanding that God knows who we are, God deems us important, and God has called us to a work. A work of worship, a work of service, a work of giving, a work of witnessing. God has called us to be all in. You cannot build a football team unless everybody's in. You cannot build a business unless everybody's in. Ladies and gentlemen, you will not build a church unless everybody's in. And every one of these that Paul made mention of, we're all in. I hope this helps you see Romans 16 in a different light. That's why all those names are mentioned. Because those names represented people that God knew, that God deemed important. People that were doing the work to make the kingdom of God and the church of God great. In closing, one other thing. You look at verse 2 of Romans 16. You'll notice that Paul talks about one of those 36 names, and she's a lady whose name was Phoebe. And he makes mention of her and the others as being saints. Saints. I told you earlier that we are saints. Now, I know some of you might come out of a Catholic background. And you might say, Pastor, Protestants can't be saints. Only Catholics can be saints. Well, I beg to disagree with you. Because Paul says that Phoebe and all of these others that he's mentioning through Romans 16, he calls them saints. They certainly weren't Catholic. The Catholic Church wasn't even around them. So how can they be saints then, Pastor? Well, let's think about what a saint is, according to the Catholic Church. Let's use their own definition. How can you be a saint? How can you have a stained glass window with your name on it? How can you have your name written down in a book? How can you have people pay homage to you? How can you be a saint? Well, according to the Catholic Church, in order to be qualified to be a saint, you have to be dead for five years. So none of you qualify right now. Okay, Most of you are alive right here. Some of you I'm not sure about. You haven't moved since we started. But even if you died during the service, you still got four years and... 11 months and 29 days. But in order to be qualified to be a saint in the Catholic Church, you, you have to at least have been dead for five years. That doesn't mean you will be qualified. It just means you can't even be considered till you're dead for five years. Secondly, you have to be involved in at least two miracles. Two miracles have to be part of your life and ministry. And the church determines if those things are miracles or not. They have a, 
qualifiers, if you will. So if you want to be a saint according to the Catholic Church, you, you have to be dead for at least five years. There has to be two noticeable min, uh, miracles in your life or ministry somewhere down the line. And sec, thirdly, you have to be set apart by the church. The church has to set you apart as being such a saint. Now I told you that the Catholic Church wasn't in existence in this time. So how could Paul call Phoebe and the, thir and the 35 other saints, uh, Christians that are mentioned there, saints? May I submit to you, it's because they met the very qualifications that the church says you have to have. First of all, you have to be dead to be a saint. Ladies and gentlemen, when you come to Jesus as your Savior, you die and He lives. When I came to Jesus in 1979, look at your pastor. I was crucified and buried. The old Jim Palmer ceased to exist then. And a new Jim Palmer came up out of the ashes who would be filled with the power of a resurrected Christ. When you gave your life to Jesus, you died. And He So you got the first qualification. What about the two miracles? When you gave your life to Jesus, the Spirit of God came inside of you. If that's not a miracle, I don't know what is. God inside of you and me. The second miracle is this God who comes inside of us changes us, and He makes us what we cannot be. He not only saves, but He changes and He transforms. What a miracle. Can you remember what you used to be? Look at you now. Isn't that a miracle? Absolutely. That's the two miracles. The presence of God and the transformation of our lives. And then we have to be set apart. Thirdly, you know what the word set apart actually translates to? Sanctified. We Baptists don't like the word sanctified because we're afraid of it. We say it's a Pentecostal word. It's a Bible word. You know what it means? It means to be set apart to be like Jesus. Sanctification means that every day you live, the Spirit of God that lives inside of you it's changing you to be like Jesus each and every day. Today, you should be more like Jesus than you were yesterday. Tomorrow, you should be more like Jesus than you are today. That's what sanctification is. The process of becoming like Jesus. So may I add, not only does God know your name, not only are you important, not only do you have a work to do, but you're a saint. You're a saint. Saint Jim, I like that. Saint you, you like that? We're saints. I'd like to think that Romans 16 will be added to when we get to heaven. 
Maybe there'll be a Romans 17. Paul won't write it, but God will. And maybe God will include your name and my name there. Because we were all in. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed.